So welcome to Gay With God, and I'm here today with an amazing woman I am privileged to know. It's it's just one of those, you know, God things, I think. I mean, we just found each other, and I can't even, I was trying to think this morning how that all happened, and I don't remember, but um, I'm so glad it did. So I am here with Sharon Fershon, and what most people would call Sharon Fershon is a contradiction in terms. On the one hand, a respected multi-faith minister, mystic and professional astrologer, a loving partner, daughter, aunt, sister, colleague, and friend who lives to make people laugh. On the other hand, she is a revolutionary who has spent the last two decades of her life voraciously studying ancient cultures, quantum physics, religions, technology, ancient societies, the occult, and all things esoteric. A powerful kinesiast. <laughs> I knew I was going to mess up that word. <laughs> it's kinesthetic. Don't worry. Kinesthetic, Don't worry. intuitive oracle and reader who lives to challenge the comfort zone. She is both the cloth and the sword, and a powerful adept who has been learned who has learned how to transmute the lower metal of her personal trauma into the higher metal of spiritual service. And having said all of that, let me just tell you, it's spot on. <laughs> it is spot on. <laughs> and, and I am privileged to have her on the Gay With God podcast. So, you know, Sharon, your, your gifts are so diverse and they're so connected. They're diverse, but they're so connected. They blend together. Um, and it's just amazing to me. One, how you have helped me with your astrological readings. Um, those were spot on. Uh, and I believe that the, the last thing that Sharon said to me was that that I was responsible for why I, I wasn't moving forward. <laughs> and she was right, because that somehow in my chart, I had said, not yet, not yet. Yeah. Well, now this Gay With God podcast, I think is now the yet, that this is the time yeah. that I feel so clear and I feel so yeah. open to serve. And this is my calling for now. And I am so honored to have people join me on my calling and tell their faith journey stories, however diverse they may be, because it's not just one path, people. <laughs> it's not it one path. Not. And if it were, I don't think any of us would be on it. So, <laughs> so Sharon, tell me your story. Help us to understand how it all started for you as far as like when you knew you were gay and how how that evolved from there. Sure. First of all, thank you so much for inviting me. This is such a powerful podcast at a very, it, we're at a time in our history right now where we're teetering on the edge. And this is mm -hmm. definitely one of those podcasts that has the potential to reach people in a heartfelt way rather than screaming at each other about gay versus God. So right. it's even just the title gay with God is healing when you say it, you know, mm -hmm. especially for somebody who's homosexual and has been mm -hmm. so ostracized by God for so long. Mm -hmm. I am, I, I really appreciate you, Mitch. You're welcome. Thank um, you. Thank you. I am the eldest gay child of a Pentecostal minister. So that should that pretty much encapsulate. I was going to say, well, we're done. Now we <laughs> we're done. <laughs> now we know. <laughs> but tell me more um, because I got time. I got time. <laughs> I, uh, I knew I was gay at the age of five. I remember I was standing in church and I was standing next to my Sunday school teacher and she had very large breasts. 
And I was standing next to her. And because of her height, I was a tall kid. She was a short lady. I turned and looked and her breasts were right in front of me. And I remember thinking for the first time in my life that I wanted them, but I knew it had nothing to do with food. Uh And that was the moment where it was like, Hmm. huh, something, something's, something's odd here. And because I lived such a sheltered life, I mean, I, I grew up in a town that I would describe as where men are men and sheep are scared. It's this tiny uh, little town in Northern California. Nobody talks about gay. Nobody, uh, you just, it doesn't happen. You, you are not out in a town like that. So growing up, I knew I wanted other things from girls than what they wanted from me. And I knew that it wasn't okay to talk about it. And I went through a period in my early life, probably five to six, where I really wanted to be a boy, Mm -hmm. not because I didn't want to be a girl, but because I knew that if I was a boy, it would be okay if I kissed and touched girls. And so that kind of messed with my head a little bit. Uh, On top of the fact that I'm I'm very male identified, I have wide shoulders, muscular arms. Um, I'm just, I'm not very feminine in the traditional sense. Uh So going through high school, I hang out, I hung out with the boys all the time. And as a result, most of the girls who were the people that I wanted in the first place hated me because they felt like I was trying to steal the boy that they liked when nothing could have been further from the truth. So most of my childhood as the eldest child of a pastor was extremely sheltered. I spent most of my time in church when I wasn't in church. I was getting, you know, marginalized at school. The girls didn't like me. The boys didn't like me because I beat them at sports and was, you know, really aggressive. And I didn't have a place at all. And the one place that I could have run to, which would have been God, I I always felt, so the way that I describe it when I speak at AA meetings is that it was like there was this wall And there was an outlet on the wall and everybody, I watched everybody just walk up and plug into it. And it seemed to make their life happier. It seemed Uh to make, it seemed to make things work better for them. It seemed to make them find a purpose and a meaning in their life. And I was the kid with the screwdriver (laughs) just poking it at the outlet. Like, how does this thing work? And it would shoot Uh me back across the room and I could, I could poke at it again. Yeah. And my mom was, um, she's still alive. So I don't want to be, um, she's, she was a very, she's an Aries, very hard person to be mothered by. When mm-hmm. I failed, I was told that God honors those who honor him. Mm-hmm. And when I succeeded, I was told that I had nothing to do with it. And it was all God. Wow. That was my relationship with my mom growing up. Mm-hmm. My father had just returned from Vietnam. He'd done three tours in Vietnam and was not mentally stable, but none of us knew it right? because Vietnam veterans didn't have an outlet. They didn't have a place to go. Mm -hmm. So my dad was really checked out and not all there and completely addicted to his religion. And my mom had an eldest child who I, how anybody didn't know I was gay as a kid is just beyond me, but she didn't like me because I wasn't a Barbie doll and I didn't want to do the things that she wanted right. to do. And I didn't want to look pretty for her and be her doll. Mm-hmm. So when my sister was born, who looked just like my mom and loved to be dolled up, I started getting farmed out to my dad's mom, who was an undiagnosed paranoid schizophrenic. Oh my. 
Yeah. So I knew there was something different about me. I knew that something was wrong. And then my grandma would beat and torture me and call me sin. Mm -hmm. So when I got older and I learned the word for what I was, it just cemented what the church had to say about me, just cemented what my grandmother would say when she was beating me. So I fled my, my hometown. As -hmm. soon as I could get out of there, I got out of there and went into the military where I was repeatedly assaulted by my sergeant. So what Uh. was supposed to be my saving grace was frying Mm -hmm. pan into the fire. Mm -hmm. And that was my first sexual experience. I was a virgin when that happened. Mm. And it's the only time I've ever been with a man. And it, uh, it shook my whole world yeah. because, you know, I was raised that I had brought this on myself because God honors those who honor him. Mm. And I tried committing suicide in the military because you don't have a way out. It's not the uh-uh. same as being raped as a civilian where you can just move. You, you, you can't do that in the military. You, you're their property. Mm. And so I tried to commit suicide and I was a civilian two weeks later. And at the time there were no services for female veterans. They didn't want to hear about you. They didn't want to see you. They didn't right. care. Right. And so I ended up getting heavily involved in drugs and Mm. spending time homeless and Mm. just a really long, almost decade of shit. Mm -hmm. And can I cuss on this podcast? I I think you should. (laughs) Okay. Just checking. All right. So it is labeled clean, but I can label this explicit (laughs) if we need to. (laughs) So feel free. Do not filter yourself. (laughs) Okay. So, um, after the military and after all this time of drug addiction and just debasing myself, I had this moment of clarity in a Los Angeles bathroom where I'd been, you know, washing my face, kind of like the European Mm -hmm. bath. And I stood up and I looked in the mirror and I looked dead in my own eyes. It was like the clouds parted. And for about 10 seconds, I was coherent and I was there. Mm. And I saw that there was nothing in my eyes anymore. And I'm getting chills now talking about Mm-mm. it. My eyes were like shark eyes, oh. like predatory eyes. Yeah. And this one question popped up because I knew by looking in my eyes that I wasn't in there anymore. Yeah. And the question that came right behind that was, well, who is? Mm. And that shook me mm. so deeply, like scared me so badly. I might cry. <laughs> The next time I was asked for help, I clung to that like a dying woman and got sober. And the two things about getting sober that truly changed my life are one, I was a huge racist because the man that had raped me in the military was black. Mm -hmm. And so as many people do, we take one person from a group Mm -hmm. of people and we let their behavior decide the worth of the entire group. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did. I beat people for no reason. I hurt people. I said horrible things. I chased people down. I terrorized people. I was a mess. Mm. And when I got sober, because God has this beautiful sense of humor, (laughs) I was one of two white women in a house full of black women. Mm. And I got to the program and I got out of the taxi and I knocked on the door and a black woman answered. And I just remember the fear of being so sheltered. And because 
racists have these belief systems that have never been challenged by reality. Right. So it never crossed my mind that a black person would be in treatment, which is so stupid. Like, of mm. course, they're going to be in treatment. They've been slaves. They've been marginalized. They've been tortured. They've been murdered systematically. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, they're going to use drugs and in greater numbers than white people do. Of course they will. Mm-hmm. But as a racist, I didn't know that because that's not our job. Our job isn't right. to know the truth. It's to that's hate. Right. That's right. That's what we do. And the love, Midge, that these women showed me. Mm. Oh, my God. I spent my whole life in church mm-hmm. being told about God mm-hmm. and that God loves you. Mm-hmm. And then I was treated the way I was treated by my family and my grandmother. I had to bottom out to hit rock bottom to go to the darkest place you can go on the streets of Los Angeles and end up in a group of black women Mm -hmm. who I hated for something they couldn't change. Mm. And they loved me anyway. Mm. Loved me anyway. They loved me through all of my hate. They loved me through my misinformation. And that was the first time that I ever saw God. I saw God in those women. Yes. And it changed me fundamentally because after that experience, I would, there was this purple velour couch down in the group room at this, it was a homeless shelter for female veterans. And I would go and I would lay on that couch at night and I would sob hysterically. Mm. And I would curse the God that I was raised with, the God that abandoned me, that left mm-hmm. me, that hated me for the way that he made me. Mm. I just cursed for about a solid month. And I would cry myself, sob myself to sleep on that couch. And then one morning I woke up and that God was gone. The wow. God that I had been raised with just wasn't there in the mm-hmm. same way anymore. And what flooded into that empty space was the love of those women. Mm. And it changed me in that God is just love to me now. God Mm -hmm. is a a person. God can't be described or besieged with words. Mm. God just is. And Mm. I know God in that moment where I've been hurt and I'm, flailing and I don't know what to do. And that still small voice comes in and says, what would love do? The answer is always right there because that's what God is. God is love. Mm -hmm. God has no judgment. God has no hate. God has no fear. Mm -hmm. God just loves. Mm -hmm. And even, even in all that struggle, and that's, that's what I kind of sometimes will wrap the show up with that in our struggle and in our deepest pain, you know, we were the ones that didn't know God was there, you know, but God was yeah. always there that if we are authentically gay and we were always oh, gay absolutely. with God, we just didn't know it. And the, the pain of not knowing that earlier, you know, the despair and the desperation that you felt. Isn't it delicious? <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> That's why I love you. <laughs> It is yes, so, it's deli- it's so delicious and so beautiful. And when you can look back and see it, you know, that's just so powerful. Yeah. So very powerful. Because I wouldn't be who I am without that. And you wouldn't be who you are nope. without your experience. Nope. And it is a manufactured experience. I mean, so the word, the actual word that Paul uses 
in Timothy and Corinthians is arsenokiedis. I don't know if you've ever heard that word. Mm-hmm. It's used 77 times in all of antiquity, <laughs> two of which, the first two, are by the Apostle Paul. And the actual translation of that word is one who abuses him or herself with mankind. That's the actual translation of that word. Mm-hmm. It is changed to mean homosexual in 1946. Mm-hmm. And what I find particularly dastardly about that is that we had just been in the camps. We had just been in the camps in Germany. We had just Mm -hmm. been being openly slaughtered. And then Christianity purposefully changes their sacred scriptures to target us. Mm. And that breaks my heart that it had to be at that time after we had already gone through so much and to realize that that word, the, the Old Testament is the Jewish sacred scriptures. That has nothing to do with Christianity. Right. The New Testament was created solely by the Catholic Church. That's Catholic. If you're Protestant and you want scriptures, you need to go to the Apocrypha, to the Dead mm-hmm. Sea Scrolls, mm-hmm. to the place the church didn't want you to see. Mm-hmm. That's the Protestant scriptures. These scriptures that we're arguing about right now have been so thoroughly modified over time that it's, it's the same as reading a comic book and calling it scripture. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. It's been modified yeah. that much. And, and even the, that one word. Yeah. Even the original old James, the King James version was written for King James and they were scared to death to translate it any other way than what he would want it to say. So that to me is not an inspired word. That is a, I am fearful of beheading word. (laughs) So what do you want me to say here? This is what I'm going to (laughs) say. Yeah. And it's even said at the printing of the first Bible. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm loosely translating here that this is a work of scholars. This is not an inspired word of God. Uh This is a work of scholars. This is stuff that we put together. We are well aware that we are men and that we put this together. Right. Right. So if there's somebody out there right now who's struggling Mm -hmm. with the Bible, who's struggling with the weight of, of scripture, Mm -hmm. let go of that weight. Please Mm -hmm. let go of that weight. That's erroneous weight that you don't need to care. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that I wanted to go back and say, when you talked about, your rape. Um, I don't want anyone to misinterpret the fact that we do not become gay because someone has assaulted our bodies. This is not, (laughs) that's not what this is that, that as, as you know, scroll back, you know, rewind this if you Mm -hmm. need to, but you know, Sharon, Sharon knew at five. Okay. And she knew that there was something else going on. And we all had inklings earlier than some of us ever came out. The signs were there for us, even though we may have ignored them, but she, she is absolutely not gay because of rape and neither is anybody else in this world. So, you know, we are authentically gay because we were born to be this way. Agreed. I just wanted to get that out there. <laughs> so when, when you finally came to the realization that God is love, how did that impact your faith journey? Oh, it turned it on its head. Mm-hmm. Like my, so I, you know, I know that the uh, text for this episode is going to include that I'm a pastor and I, mm-hmm. I am a pastor. I, um, 
but I have written a completely new theology for this church that has nothing to do with previous religions. And we are a church that is very bent on the marriage of science and Mm. spirituality. And we lean more towards all of scripture being interpreted as the quantum, that God is being interpreted as the quantum, the spirit of the Lord moved across the face of the waters, the, the waters of the quantum, the field from which we all emanate, the field that creates us. And so the idea of God being love freed me to be able to come in with one foot in science and one foot in religion, because when you believe that God is love, you trust life. You trust this universe because I know my daddy and as crazy as my childhood may have been and as hard as it may have been on me, I am a daddy's girl through Mm -hmm. and through. I would do anything for that man. And he raised me every night when I would go to bed, he would come in and he would sit with me and he would tell me, that I could do anything I wanted with my life. And there was never any for a girl or you know none of that. There was no gender involved. He just encouraged me. And I believe that God is that same way. I believe that God, however you may see him, and I encourage you to expand past the God that you inherited mm-hmm. ancestrally. I encourage everyone mm-hmm. to expand behind that, past that God. But love is what gives you the feeling of safety to do that. And that's what traps a lot of Christians in that cycle of Christianity, where you're not allowed to explore anything else outside of Christianity without risking hell, but you're in hell in your belief system because the God that's been created in Christianity is hard to wrap your arms around. It's a, it's a mean, angry sociopath in the sky kind of God and love is that thing that loosens you up and lets you say, I wonder where God is concerned. And that is the dance of this life. It is me saying to the beloved, I wonder, I wonder what you're like. I wonder what it feels like to have your face Mm -hmm. next to mine, to feel your fingertips on my cheek, to sleep next to you, to be near you, to have you feel me. Beloved, I wonder. We don't have that relationship like King Solomon had with God, where he wrote those beautiful scriptures, Mm -hmm. that that longing and that fierceness in his soul to know. We don't get that when we're afraid. Right. And I think that all of our journeys is all about, you know, the 20s, you're growing up in your childhood, you're figuring out who you are, you're learning how to use this spacesuit, your 20s and your 30s, you're out there here's my spacesuit. Here I am. And then in your forties and your fifties, as you're heading into your second Saturn return, which is where I'm at right now, you're going back and grading your twenties and your thirties. And you're really looking at, do I want to carry this with me into my fifties and into my Saturn return? And that's where I'm at right now, really looking at where I came from and what part of that I want to carry into that new era of my life. And I think we all go on this path and that many of us won't do this exploration until we're astrologically deemed to, Mm -hmm. and to push ourselves and to force ourselves to have a realization too soon is to build it upon sand. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's really important to just stay still and to just let it reveal itself to me instead of going and looking, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So, so with your church, with all that you came from, was it important for you to create a church that would be there for other people who were in pain instead of having the oh. traditional church? How did Absolutely. that come that about? Was the whole purpose. Yeah. How did that come about? Do you want the real story? I certainly do. Okay, <laughs> Inquiring um, minds want to know. <laughs> I'm a big conspiracy theorist and I was reading the book of Thoth, um, which was supposedly found and translated in the late 19th century. And it's the tablets of the god Thoth from Egypt, and they're done in an emerald glass. So they're called the emerald tablets of Thoth. And so I was reading that, and in the emerald tablets of Thoth, there's a prayer where you are basically dedicating yourself to whatever you believe God to be. In this case, Thoth represents God in this book. And you're asking that things be taken from you and replaced with that, with the things that you need. And so, you know, I'm all about spirituality and going deeper and getting in there. And so I went into the bathroom exactly like I turned off the lights, did the whole prayer. And I felt something really weird. Oh. And I know that sounds funny, but I did. Mm-hmm. And so I came back out of the bathroom and I sat down on the couch just being honest, so stick with me, this green spiral of light came out of the ceiling and I just watched it and it came towards me and it touched my forehead and I wrote for the next two days. I just wrote and wrote and wrote all the stuff out for the church, all the ways that I, you know, how I wanted it to be, what I saw happening. I did a bunch of visioning for the next two months and it, it just... I have to, you have to know that being the eldest gay child of a Pentecostal minister, the last thing that was on my mind (laughs) in my life was being a pastor. Yes. That was no, I get that. That's why I was so surprised when I heard it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Nowhere on my mind. Mm -hmm. But this happened in 2015. And since then, I've been working on it little bit by little bit because writing a brand new theology that's centered around quantum physics is extremely difficult to do. That's so. not an easy yeah. thing to do. Yeah. So it, the church was years in the making. And then the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction in December of 2020, which is known as the Messiah star, the star that you know Jesus was supposedly born under happened. And I said, I can't think of a better astrological energy under which to start this church than this one, because Mm -hmm. my church is in response to religion. It's Mm -hmm. not in concert with it Mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. And I come from a family of pastors. My aunt and uncle are the pastors who received the Toronto blessing Mm -hmm. in the 1990s in Canada that swept for years across the entire world. Mm. Those were my aunt and uncle. Like I come from a long line mm-hmm. of this stuff and viciously hated it Yeah, for two decades. Yeah. Hated it. Didn't want anything to do with it. And then God said, too bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty you, much you, what happened. You protest too much. <laughs> yeah. And it all just unfolded. I have an amazing, and I was very careful not to become a nonprofit organization and to give the government any mm-hmm. leeway mm-hmm. in my church at all. 
for as long as the religious protections in the United States last, I'm going to milk that for everything it's worth. And I'm going to teach exactly what they don't want taught. I'm going to mm-hmm. give it away for free. Mm-hmm. And we're going to serve our communities, which is all Jesus ever wanted us to do. The rest of this mm-hmm. stuff where we have big crystal crosses and churches that are worth $3 million while they're starving children, that is yeah. not of God. Right. That is not Jesus's mission. Right. Never has been. Never will be. And if he came back to the United States right now, <laughs> he would be beating those people with whips out of those mm-hmm. churches for their heresy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, not- I I believe in in the church, not the building, but the church is the people, the body of Christ, the body. Yes, yeah. and that's and that's what you know the the minister that the priest that helped me get back into church was. You know, he's he has always said, you know, you know, although I want you to come. If your work is elsewhere, go do that work. And when our dog Roddy had um, been attacked and was missing for three and a half weeks, one of the ladies from the from the parish that I had just met was with me Mm -hmm. every single day looking for this Mm -hmm. dog and even on Sundays. And I'd say I'd often say, well, if you need to go to church, she goes, I am the church and I'm doing my work. Yes. And I'm with you because I want to be with you. Yeah. Oh, that gave me chills. Yeah. Yes. Yep. And she was committed. The church is not a building. I, no. And although we gather there to be with each other if we choose to, you know, it is it is never the building. It is always us. Yep. Always. Yeah. I don't really believe that there will be a second coming in the physical sense. I believe that the second coming is happening now in the Mm. age of Aquarius, where the spirit of the Christ, the Sophia wisdom of who and what we are is returning Mm. with the divine feminine. Mm -hmm. Because the one thing that we see in every religion, we have Catholicism that celebrates the mother and Christianity that celebrates the father. Every religion has both masculine and feminine and what's missing Mm -hmm. in Protestant Christianity is the divine mother, the sacred mother, Mm -hmm. the sacred female. And that's on its way back now. Well, you know, we, we women always have to clean it up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what's interesting to me is Uh, that if you look at nature, beauty and the beast, the male mm -hmm. is beauty. The woman is the beast. Mm, That's We, we are the, we are what gives life and we are the earth that receives life when life mm-hmm. is done. We are not pretty. Mm-hmm. This this idea that we have in culture right now that the woman has got to be covered in lipstick and can't have a BMI <laughs> above us. That's not nature. No. In nature, it's the male that makes himself pretty for the female. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. I'm, I, I, it breaks my heart to see just naturally gorgeous women covering themselves in cancerous chemicals to be accepted. Yeah. 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 I, I, I just never was one of them <laughs> and I'm so grateful. Either, girl, <laughs> never girl. I, there was a moment when I tried lipstick and makeup and I was just a mess. It's like, I just, I was so unauthentic at that moment. I could not, I could not tolerate it. And I, I did try yeah. because, you know, I was expected to try, but other than that, yeah. Did too. Wow. Not anymore. Not anymore. So so how did that go with your family of ministers? How are you still in connection with, <laughs> with Oh yes, people? I have a very good relationship with my okay. family now. Okay. And a lot a lot of that relationship has been built around me being able to um 
so when I'm just going to give you a side story, when I was doing my inventory with my first sponsor, my parents were all over it. And yeah, I was so angry at my parents. And how dare you do this to me? And how dare you force this down my throat? And I was talking to my sponsors, we're reading the inventory. And she was like, you sound really angry. And I was like, I just want to take their God. And I want to crumble it in front of their face and watch their faces fall. That's what I wanted. And my sponsor goes, hmm. and I was like, what? And she goes, it's interesting that you're trying to find a God that works for you while trying to destroy the God that works for somebody else. And she looked me dead in the eye. I loved her because she was so honest. And she said, your parents are respected pillars of their community who people come to regularly for advice. They pay their bills. They own their house outright. They don't have debt. What the fuck are you talking about? You don't want to be like your parents. And I was like, huh. <laughs> and ever since then, I've seen them differently. Like now I celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ of Nazareth works to plug them into the divine. Congratulations. I'm so happy for you. It doesn't work for me. Right. But I'm so happy that it works for you. If you're Buddhist, mm -hmm. which I was for a long time, if the Buddha and the Eightfold Path, if that's what works for you, then I'm happy for you. If it's Hinduism, Jainism, Taoism, Taoism, mm -hmm. uh, Islam, Judaism, whatever it is, if you're, it's all the same God. It's just different plugs. That's right. It's all the same thing. That's right. I mean, you look at the three largest religions in the world right now, all worship the same God. <laughs> And they've caused more death and destruction on this planet than anything natural. Mm -hmm. But they all worship the same exact God. Mm -hmm. What the hell? Right. right. How, how, how do you hate each other so much when it's the same God? Exactly. Exactly. Bet, and the only reason there are religions is because we as humans could not come together in love and let things be, you know, mm. I can let you believe it this way. I can let me believe it this way. No, you know, we had to hunker in and, you know, make everybody try to make it our way instead of just accepting mm. that we're all, we're all from love. Yeah. I have this really weird theory that the tower of Babel wasn't the division of language. It was the provision of language mm -hmm. where we had once been able to communicate with our thoughts and yes. to be more at one with each other. Language was introduced to keep us from ever coming that close again. And language has been used to divide us ever since. That's so interesting. I can see that. I can yeah. see that. So see people, when I read that, bio of Sharon that's that's what we're saying she, <laughs> she is all that and so much more <laughs> if you sit with her for just a little bit you know you're you will be changed you will be changed because she's got such wisdom um and I appreciate her so much so so what else is on on your heart to say today what is something you would like us to know either about you or your journey that you feel is really important I am the last person that you would expect to do this kind of work, mm -hmm. not because I'm a drug addict or I am a felon, not because I'm an active criminal or anything, but because this just wasn't on my radar. Mm -hmm. And then life changes. And if I could tell all of you anything it's that you are so loved and so adored 
by this simulation that you live in, that worrying is hilarious. It's hilarious. Everything and, and all of it that you're living right now, you planned out before you incarnated. This is all your lesson plan. You <laughs> planned it out. You literally can't fuck this up. Like there's nothing that you can do to fuck up what you came here for. I encourage you to try. I encourage you to try and fuck your life up so that you get a really good vision for how this universe uses everything you handed, every drop of pain, every situation you've ever been in to bring you joy. Mm. That's the whole, if you study Kabbalah, the whole point behind Kabbalah, the whole underlying principle is that there's a creator and a creature and that the whole purpose for the creator is to fill this creature with joy. Unabiding, can't tolerate it, seem splitting joy. And that is the truth of where we're at. There is a creator who has created you who wants to give you nothing mm -hmm. but boundless joy if you'll put down your mind and listen. Mm. Mm. Bottom line. Bottom line. Yeah. And, you know, all of the angst that people go through is really just sort of like the, the struggle that you have to go through to look back and think, oh, isn't it better now? You know, birthing it's, pains. Uh, yeah. Birthing pains. That's right. Birthing pains. Yep. Yep. Oh my goodness. Beautiful. So beautiful. It all is. Yeah. So to all those who and are listening, go ahead, say that last thing. I, go ahead. The last thing I want to tell you guys is that, so you live on two different planes. You live up here in spirit where everything's perfect. Mm. The child dies in Somalia from starvation and Elon Musk has billions of dollars. <laughs> And that is perfect, whether or not it seems perfect to the mind. But we eventually have to drop down from this place of spirit back into our human hearts where the suffering here is so overwhelming that sometimes it feels like it's just going to break us. And so we think, oh, I don't want to be down here. I want to get back up here where everything's perfect. But if you choose a place to stand, if you decide that Okay, I want, I want to stay up here. Like Ram Das says, you now have somewhere that you're standing. And the point is to stand nowhere. It's to have no place that is your home. It's to have nothing that is who you are. It's for you to be all things at all times. So expand past the idea of, th there's a very toxic idea in modern uh, spirituality where we, it's all light and love. No, it's not. This is the same thing that gave birth to racism through Christianity is that black people are dark and white people are light. And so white is preferable. It's not. It's all God. All of it. Your deepest, darkest pain and your highest abiding joy are both God. All of it's God. There's nowhere you can go when there's not God. Mm. Stop running to the light and accept your darkness. Mm-hmm. Because both are required. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 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 So in that struggle, you know, I love what you said, you know, that, that would be, that would probably be that final question is always, you know, what is the one thing you would share with someone who's struggling? And your answer was, you know, put down your mind and just listen and your beloved in the darkness 
and in the light. You are beloved. Period. So beloved. Well, my beloved, I thank you so much for being here and for sharing your deepest soul faith journey story. And I'm so happy um, to know it. I am so happy to know you and I'm happy to know that, that you were able to hang on until you could find you in all of it and that you found God in all of it, even, even the pain. Um, I'm, I'm so happy that you are in this world and, and you are shedding the light for others. So people, we thank Sharon so much for being here and we thank her for being in the world and for being there for others. Uh, I will be posting all of her links, uh, especially the one to her church and to everywhere that you can find her in the show page on Podbean. So make sure that you zip over there uh, once this is published and, and find her. Uh, it's an amazing find if you... <laughs> If you don't know Sharon, you need to know Sharon. So it's an amazing find. So please check out her, check out her church. And the name of your church is? The First Church of Humanity. The First Church of Humanity. I wanted her to say it in her words because she's the creator. I don't want to talk <laughs> It just comes off so good with her. Okay. So the other thing I want you guys to know is that, um, that we are on Apple podcasts and we would welcome you to share a review, uh, like it, make this visible. Um, it's not about a popularity contest. It really is about getting people visible. And I want people to find this podcast and I want them to hear these stories because these are the stories that, that pull someone out of the darkness um, when they are ready to live their authentic life. And as always, as I say, that if you are authentically gay, you already have been living gay with God because God is within us and no one could ever take that away. So thank you. Stay tuned and you'll see how you can be a community member of Gay With God. And we'll see you next week.